Welcome back here again to Ransom Revelations. This is part two of The Walking Wounded. Again, thank you all for joining us. And if you have any questions, comments, snide remarks, or inquiries, please direct them to our email, which is the number four, rantsandrevelations at gmail.com. And we'd love to interact with you there. Also, please, if you have time, leave us a review on your preferred platform for podcasts. And let's get into the episode, shall we? Welcome to Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve, a place where theology and everyday life collide. The opinions expressed in Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve are ours and ours alone. We're not seeking to make a documentary with incriminating evidence. We're just seeking to provide an avenue for us to express ourselves, tell our story, and help anybody who may be blessed by it. In doing so, we have changed some names and places for the sake of anonymity and to protect those who may not want their information given out. So we talked about isolation a little bit, and here's a real big one, shame. Mm -hmm. I feel like this was, next to disorientation, shame was probably number one, and disorientation was probably number two. But I remember feeling stupid for getting involved in that whole thing in the first place and just going, how did I not see it? Mm -hmm. How did I not see it? And then how did I stay in it so long? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You kind of feel like the village idiot. Like, sad to say, like, that's how I felt anyway. And it was hard to show my face. And to go back to church A was, I knew I needed to, Mm -hmm. but I was kind of scared. Mm -hmm. Even though I had a sense that it was going to be okay going back there, but I wasn't sure. Cause I didn't know if someone was offended or hurt by me and you know, if I was going to be shunned or I didn't know what to expect. I was kind of curious. I was going to ask more about that, like your decision mm. to go back there, uh, because that takes a lot of courage, you know what I mean? Like mm. to go back to a place where you were on the side of a very traumatic experience for church A, mm. right? Uh, the trauma that you experienced leaving there and, and after that was great, w- way deeper than the trauma. <laughs> but but that whole experience for Church A was a very traumatic yeah. experience. And to go back to a place where you were part of the team that <laughs> you know that caused this trauma, it takes I think takes a lot of takes a lot of courage. What was the what was the draw? What you said you know you needed to. What was the draw? What was the draw in that? Well, I was, while I was studying the New Testament, I just, as I was praying through what to do with the situation, the Lord just put it on my heart, like, you got to go back there and you need to reconcile those relationships because I think what really did it is my grandparents stayed there Mm -hmm. and I was, I had a really strained relationship with them the whole time I was staying at that church and I wouldn't say it felt cowardly not to go back, it just felt like the right thing to do to go back and reconcile those relationships because God put on my heart, like, well, you may not have, you know, there were some people I personally hurt like you, you know, um, and my grandparents, probably Jeff was hurt. I, I wasn't responsible for all of the trauma that had happened. Some of it though, 
and I felt like I needed to go back and and make all that make not make amends necessarily. I mean, to some extent, yes, but go back and I felt like it was going to really be crucial for my own healing and and to just any harm I caused there that I could I could make those amends that I needed to. Um, so I just contradicted myself there. I did need to make amends. Uh, that is what it was. So it was a combination of those things, but it didn't feel brave at all. It was more of a deep conviction I had that I just needed to do that yeah. and I couldn't get around it, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing it as brave because there, there takes a sense, a certain amount of humility to walk back into a situation where, like you said, and I don't, I don't think anybody would have been like, that guy was the source of our trauma, right? right. But that guy was on the team of the source of our trauma, <laughs> and and there takes a certain amount of humility to go. I'm here to acknowledge my my wrongdoing yeah. and to seek reconciliation and to seek whatever. There's a there's a there's a sense of of humility and bravery that that hmm. takes to go back and to seek that. I think it, gospel bravery. Like yeah. it, it's, I know this is the right thing to do, you know? Wow. And, and to do that. Uh, when we talk about shame and, uh, Steve's not here, so I get to talk about him. That's how that works. Without, yeah. Without him, uh, being able to defend himself. No, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I think this is the one that pops into my head when I think of my first conversation with Steve, when we first reconciled. When we were, when I was at that conference and we ran into each other, um, he was, he was full of shame and about how long he stayed mm -hmm. mostly. Cause Steve was there to the, to the bitter end, yeah. like almost went down with the ship, so to speak. Right. And, um, his seeming inability to recognize what everyone else saw, everyone else had bailed by that time. And it was just, just he and Tom <laughs> really, yeah. you know? And so that was primarily what was in his heart and mind was just this, like, how stupid, like, this is dumb. Like, why did I, how did I not see it? Like you were talking about, right? And what took me so long and mm -hmm. why didn't I recognize it when, when Mike left and why didn't, you know, like yeah. all those things. And I just remember telling him, like, we trust in God's sovereignty and his goodness and his sovereignty and that he's in control of all situations and that in, in his good providence, he had each one of us in that situation for as long as we needed to be in that situation to learn whatever lesson he has mm -hmm. for us to learn, right? The amount of time that I spent under Tom's iron fist, <laughs> mm -hmm. if you will, was way less than the amount of time that you and Steve spent under mm. it. And the amount of time that you spent under it was way less than the amount of time that Steve spent under it. But each one of those time frames was exactly how long we needed to be there in God's good providence to learn what it is that God had for us to learn through that situation. And so you weren't in it a minute too long or a minute too little. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you were in it the right amount of time for you to learn what God had for you in that situation. And we've talked over and over again in previous episodes about being a safe place. We've talked about it in this episode already about being a safe place for people to come uh, when they've escaped an abusive church, but this understanding of God's providence that, that he's got people in a trial for a certain amount of time, right? Uh, in order for them to learn lessons, that's a good thing for us to keep in mind on the outside looking in mm. to go, you know, Mike is there 
for as long as God wants him there, and then God will take him hmm. out of there, you know? And that you're in that current situation as long as they need to be, and we're waiting for them with compassion and love when you escape. Hmm. You know, when you get out of that, here we are with open arms, ready to receive you, ready to love you, ready to minister to you. That's what we're talking, that's what I mean when I mean be a safe place for people is recognizing God's hand on the situation, recognizing God's timing in it, and being hmm. just being ready to love them and minister to them when they when they escape, you know? Yeah. So that's a really good word there. Trusting God's providence for others and recognizing God's providence for us. Yeah. You know, James uh, James one talks about is it considered pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and that perseverance must finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, Hmm. right? And what happens so often in our own lives and in our desire to help others is we don't want to let perseverance finish its work. Hmm. We get in the middle of a trial and we want out of that trial just as soon as we can get out of it. Right, and that's that's natural. Obviously, we're not out there seeking trial. <laughs> we're not yeah. seeking pain and seeking yeah. trials. Hurt me plenty. But so, but so often we're we're circumventing the growth process because that passage says that perseverance must finish its work, mm. so that you'll be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Mm. And so, when we jump off the train <laughs> early. We're circumventing the growth process, the maturation process. We are, we are short-circuiting what God had for us in that time, and we're not really learning the lesson that we're supposed to learn. Yeah. And that part really hit home to me when I was studying the book of James a few years ago. Like That sentence, perseverance must finish its work. Mm. Well, that's not always easy. That's never easy, really. (laughs) Persevere is not a fun term, right? It implies suffering. It implies suffering. Mm -hmm. And and you plowing through that suffering. Yeah. And it's got a work to do. And if you jump off of it here, he's going to put you on it in a different context so that it will finish its work in you. Yeah. You know? And so that's not just in us. We need to realize that in other people too and be compassionate and gracious and loving towards them when they're in the midst of that perseverance part of their trials. Yeah, and another element to this, in addition to obviously God's sovereignty sort of encapsulates the entire process here, but on a personal level, people have different personality traits, different dispositions, and like with Steve, in his absence, I'd like to say something which I think is really awesome about Steve, which I feel like in in some ways he's like a golden retriever. He's just like so loyal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. He's like one of the most loyal guys I've ever met. And I don't know, he's not here to answer this, so I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Do it. maybe that contributed to why he stayed so long. Yeah. You know? I mean, there can be good mm-hmm. intentions Right? With, yeah. with all of those things. Yeah, so it could be something positive like loyalty, you know? Um, for me, the reason it I got out when I did was just because my, obviously, on the one hand, 
the timer for me on that trial was coming to an end, but also God started waking me up to a lot of other realities and exactly what was happening, and I started to see it. And that's not to say that I'm better than Steve. No. Either. It's not, it's not, it's just different timings. And to be honest, like, I I would imagine, Mm -hmm. I'll ask you, um, going away to college made that a little easier. Made it way easier. It probably would have been a longer process for you had you not been going away to college, but still been around in the area. I imagine that it wouldn't have been as easy of a break. I probably would have stayed in it for at least another year or two. Uh, if I was in direct contact with Tom all the time still, because part of what keeps people in these situations is the ongoing love bombing and abuse cycle from the narcissistic person or the abusive pastor, however you want to think about it. And the more contact you have with that person, the longer they can sort of spin their web and kind of keep you under their thumb, you know, unless they do something that is a, you know, crosses a line to the point that you're done, um, which does happen. But um, generally speaking, they're very manipulative. And so they can detect when you're starting to want to look elsewhere and they will figure out some way to love bomb you uh, or meet some specific need, do something to try to get you back on their team Mm -hmm. and make you feel like, you know, you're really important to them. They or buy something. some more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since I was out of direct contact, that made a huge difference. But even then, it still took me a year of basically being out of direct contact for me to finally go, yeah, I got to get away from this church. Mm-hmm. Even though I had known it before I went to college, mm-hmm. I knew I needed to get away. It still took me that entire first year of college and studying the scriptures like crazy and, you know, getting input from uh, professors and stuff and going to different churches and seeing the contrast and all this stuff to for me to finally muster up the courage to go tell Tom I'm leaving. And I felt so convicted that I needed to do that mm-hmm. at the time. And I... Looking back, I've said this before, I wish I had just left, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I didn't, fe- I didn't see how I could get around having a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did, and it is what it is, it is, what it is. at this yeah. point. But um, yeah, if I had been in direct contact still, I probably would have stuck around another year. Yeah. So yeah, yeah college so made a timer, huge difference. The timer was coming up on your, mm-hmm. on your time in that trial and all of these things orchestrated by God, mm-hmm. you going away to college, the whole the yeah. whole thing, you know, uh, the opening of your eyes even to some of the problems that mm-hmm. were, that were happening. All of that was because the timer was ticking down, mm. right? In yeah. The, in the background, we're going to, we need to associate all of that with God's timing, right? you know, and, uh, and, so, and just being ready to receive folks when they're, when the scales fall off. Yeah. Absolutely. And just to speak to the shame angle, it's totally normal to feel that way when you leave something like this. But what I learned in, you know, after the fact was that people were just glad I was back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and they were just glad I wasn't with Tom anymore and with that church. And yeah, I had to kind of go through my own emotional roller coaster and everything. But most of the shame was self-imposed. There wasn't, I didn't get scolded by anybody. Yeah. Luckily. Now that doesn't mean no one's going to experience scolding from someone sure. else. You know, it depends yeah. on how unhealthy the situation you're going into from the yeah. <laughs> abusive yeah. churches. Yeah. So that's what, you know, and that's again, what we're saying about being a safe place is don't be the scolding type of person yeah. that, you know, when they come out of that, you go, ha, ha, I told you so. Yeah. Hey, you, know, you see? Yeah. Yeah. You idiot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why didn't you uh, leave sooner? What's wrong with you? We tried to tell you, you know, kind of thing. And so um, just being those who are uh, just overjoyed that you're out of that, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about shame, which is a huge one. A general sense of grief is not uncommon either. Uh, you're experiencing the loss of relationships and the loss of the promise of heightened spiritual spirituality associated with the abusive group. So there's, and you're, you're maybe even missing your abuser as part of that. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're experiencing several losses at once. Um, for me, I think letting go of the sense of, of superiority that came with being part of the chosen few was really hard because, you know, you kind of wear that as a badge of honor. You're part of this scrappy group that's kind of the underdog, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's almost like you have a victim mentality, like you're, you know, part of this oppressed group, like you're fighting against the man sort of thing. And you're giving up that whole mindset. Like you're, and it's, you're losing that. You're losing the relationships that you have in that group. You're losing your connection to the leader. You're losing a lot all at once. Yeah. So it's it's really common to feel some grief and experience anger, frustration, uh, sadness, uh, all different range of emotions. Yeah. Because in that disorientation and everything that comes along with it, because of all these losses that you're accumulating all at once. Yeah, and and I think just you know. Again, patience and Christ, right? Yeah, those are the the answers to most of these most of these problems. Just just uh, on the, those on the receiving end of people coming out of an abusive situation, we want to be patient with them. We want to acknowledge that this this grief is real. I do feel like sometimes we're like, well, you know, they were bad, so why are you, you know? why are you feeling that way about them? And they go, no, you know, the reason that this hurts is because the, the abuser knows how to trauma bond and, and, you know, do all these kinds of things to, to make you feel a certain sense of worth and value in their world. Hmm. And now that that's gone, uh, we have to, you have to learn to find your worth and value in Christ. And, that takes time. It takes patience and it takes, um, it takes years sometimes, hmm. you know, and I don't, I don't even know that I fully do that perfectly, you know, <laughs> find finding my worth and value in Christ. Yeah. Um, I think it, you know, we're all out in some sense for the approval of, we all appreciate the approval of man. We oh, all appreciate compliments. Absolutely. And like, 
all of that kind of stuff. And, and the reality is we should be able to live without any of that and just find our worth and value in Christ. Hmm. But oftentimes I said this during the pandemic, the primary way that I feel loved by God is being loved on by his people. I was thinking that, you know, before you brought it, I was thinking, what about our fellowship? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so I think one of the primary ways that we're intended to feel loved by God is being loved by his people. Mm. And so it's so hard. I, I want to be careful because it's not, it's not that simple when you're coming out of an abusive situation mm. to just go in and be vulnerable and allow people to love you. Yeah. Right. We talk about that, the isolation and protecting the protecting of yourself from mm-hmm. getting hurt again. Yeah. Right. I think that's natural. I don't think it's healthy. <laughs> right. But I think it's, I think it's natural. And yeah. I think we need to just have patience and compassion towards people who are going through that stuff and not trying to rush the process of healing either, you know, just like we don't want to, I mentioned with the James one passage, we don't want to rush the time spent in a trial. We don't, we also don't want to rush the, the healing process. Mm-hmm. Like that's all part of the learning curve, if you will, is the healing process as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's normal to experience all these kinds of emotions yeah. and it takes time yeah. and it, like you said, it takes time to be willing to open up to somebody and it can take time to find someone you feel safe enough to open up to. And with something like grief, we do the same, I mean, we do the same thing after a funeral, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about it, when my father-in-law died, for instance, everybody grieved with us up until the point of we have this service, this funeral service, right? And everybody comes and gathers and grieves together. And for 99% of the people that came to that service, that was the healing that they needed. That was the end. My mother-in-law is still going home to no husband. My wife is still going on through life with no father, right? Like there's, there's grief that happens beyond those moments. We go to a funeral and then forget about the grief that might be being experienced by a family member hmm. of the deceased person or whatever, you know? And so it's like grief is something we're afraid of. <laughs> we don't understand. And... um I remember God just giving me clarity. It was it was definitely from above <laughs> when my mother-in-law was it was probably a year or more after uh after dad I call him mom and dad after dad yeah. had died and she said I'm still feeling this this grief. She goes I don't feel it all the time anymore, but it comes and it goes. And I said you need to ride every wave of grief all the way to the shore. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like right, every wave of grief that comes, let it come and wash mm-hmm. over you. That's part of the healing mm-hmm. process. And we'll come and cry with you and we'll come and hold you, you know, um, because that's what, that's what family does. And yeah. the church is to be a family and we'll grieve with you. And, and I remember telling our church, I don't want to hear anybody ever say 
you should be over it by now. Mm. Because that's different for everybody. Yeah. How long that takes. And we just need to, need to let people ride the waves of grief all the way to the shore. Yeah. Absolutely. That is such great advice. And it kind of actually takes me back to something we were touching on earlier, which is the whole triumphalism or theology of glory versus theology of the cross. Yeah. You know, we've sanitized in a lot of ways our emotional lives in the church. Mm-hmm. And this whole fake, happy, plastic Christianity, you know, that we often run into mm-hmm. in, you know, certain certain contexts where you're supposed to put on a smiley face no matter what is absolutely toxic. Mm-hmm. And it denies the reality of of life in a lot of ways, of just the reality that life is just hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's scary. Yeah. And grief doesn't go away magically. And just because you have a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to feel pain. You're not going to feel sorrow. You're not going to feel loss or you're not going to feel depression yeah. or anxiety or um, suicidal thoughts or even, mm-hmm. you know, depths of despair. Mm-hmm. All of those things exist within a relationship with Christ. Yes. The idea that somehow because we're connected to Jesus that we're not supposed to feel those things is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. It is an absolute demonic lie, and it crushes people. Yeah. It absolutely crushes people because they start questioning their, their salvation mm-hmm. because of their emotions. Yeah. And I've done that. I know because I have experienced that. And it is, you know, it, it, it's just, it's not true. It's not yeah. true that, that if you're a believer, you're never, you're supposed to feel happy all the day, you know? Yeah. Some of those hymns are horrible, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, right? Mm-hmm. And now I am happy all the day. day. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm just skipping around happy as can be because yeah. I'm a Christian. No, I mean. <laughs> the unique part of Christian grief is that we do not mourn as those who have no hope. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So there's an under there's an undercurrent of joy <laughs> right in our grief. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> like which is weird, those two things don't usually go together. Mm-hmm. But but it's it's not that we don't feel grief, but it's it's that we feel a hopeful grief. Mm. Right? Our grief isn't just isn't um, going into eternal despair, mm-hmm. right? We might even feel despair in the moment, mm-hmm. but but we know deep down inside of us that that there is a better thing coming, mm. right? Uh, too much of that idea of heaven on earth has creeped into our, mm-hmm. into our churches and into our theologies and our ways, ways of thinking. Mm. And um, the, you know... I remember a good friend of ours, he used to say all the time that if you're a believer, this is as bad as it gets. Mm. If you're a non-believer, this is as good as it gets. (laughs) But if you're a believer, this is as bad as it gets. That's a pretty good saying. And I I really appreciated that, that saying and that sort of orientation of thought, you know? Mm. And so uh, no matter what we're going through, there's this undercurrent of joy and of hope that we we do not mourn as those who have no hope. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I, yeah, I just, I resonate a hundred percent with what you're saying that there, we do end up having a hope, but there can be moments 
And there can even be periods of time for us where we don't feel that hope. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we can experience despair and grief just like Jesus was perfectly connected to the Father, yet he was so in such deep despair in Gethsemane that he literally said, my soul is in despair to the point of death. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ, yeah. our Savior, yeah. who is separated from the Father only on the cross. I mean, this he, he experienced that kind of, of despair. Um, so we've talked about grief a little bit. Another common immediate aftermath of being in an abusive situation is feeling jaded and disillusioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling like Christianity is a sham and the church is a joke, especially after coming out of something like that, mm-hmm. is very, very common. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you've been in a church like that for a long time, um, or you were raised in a context like that, Mm -hmm. you associate, the the thing that really is sad about that is it's common then to associate scripture and Mm -hmm. a lot of biblical teachings and everything with this negative context, and you almost get like Bible phobia, and you can be afraid of even reading the scriptures and, and you have this kind of warped lens that you end up reading everything through because of this abusive situation. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very common. Yeah, I have this um, I have this analogy that I use, okay? So when you uh, think about uh, air travel around the world, all the airports and, you know, internationally and, and domestically, there are, what, probably thousands and thousands mm. of flights that take off and land every day, mm. right? Most of them do so safely. Every once in a while, there's a problem. The problem is what gets broadcast, mm. right? If there's a If there's a crash, if there's faulty landing gear, if there's... Uh, you know, miscalculation on a takeoff, if there's Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever, uh, the news is all over it, Mm -hmm. you know. And it creates a sense of panic in the people for a while, like they're leery of air travel. Mm. Not thinking about the fact that thousands upon thousands (laughs) of flights have taken off and landed Mm. safely, right? But the one the the crashes are the ones that get the publicity mm-hmm. and that shape our thinking about air travel mm. in the moment that's how it is with churches god there are thousands and thousands of humble godly leaders mm-hmm. in churches all across our world those are not the ones getting publicity the ones that get into the news are the abusive ones the ones who have committed sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse, Mm -hmm. the ones who have had moral failings of some kind, those are the ones that the news talks about. Mm. And in particular recently, a ton of spiritual abusive situations have been brought to light. Mm. And it shapes the way that we think about the church. But the reality is there's thousands and thousands of churches out there that are loving people well and that are uh, following Christ and his way. And I I get discouraged 
when people throw out even particular doctrines, narrowing it down to doc- like particular doctrines because of a misuse of that doctrine, right? So we have for us exampled toxic masculinity. So we throw complementarianism out the window because there's some toxic masculinity mm. out there, right? Or we have uh, an overemphasis on uh, God's sovereignty. So we throw out the whole doctrine and reduce God to some sort of, you know, uh, reactionary being <laughs> rather than a proactive yeah, because being. Because we, someone ran, was unfortunate enough to run into someone like us like, when we were in our yeah, cage stage. Exactly. And they say, well, look at these, these sovereignty people are just the, the most legalistic, unyielding, you yeah, know, unloving, unkind, often, unloving people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. How could this doctrine be true? And so we throw the doctrine out mm-hmm. because we run into people who abuse those doctrines. Mm-hmm. And that idea of throwing it, throwing it all out the window because some one person abused it mm-hmm. is problematic because it's, it's one sinner's sinful use of a good thing that we're judging the entire church on, right? Mm. Uh, it's one faulty landing gear <laughs> that we judge the entire air travel industry on. Mm. <laughs> and it's one, you know, faulty church leader that we judge the entire church on. Yeah. And we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And we will find that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that he won't let us down. Hmm. He won't, um, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as long as human beings are involved, there's going to be toxic administrations mm. of doctrines that doesn't change the goodness of the doctrine. Yeah. Doesn't change the trueness of the doctrine. It just shows the sinfulness of humans. Mm. And so we want to be careful about the disillusionment and the jadedness mm. towards good biblical teaching because it was manifested in a bad way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's our job as Christians to be Bereans. And even though I think this doctrine gets abused some in some context, I still believe that there's a lot of healing truth in it that we've been given an anointing from the Spirit to know the things freely given us by God. We've we've been given the Holy Spirit who illuminates our eyes to the truth and scripture and the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, not just biblical truth, all truth, Mm -hmm. but definitely biblical truth Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. I've always held on to that and always believed that no matter what kind of confusion I end up in, God, the Holy Spirit is going to lead me into the truth. And I've always sought his guidance to help lead me into the right paths and the right thinking and right realities. And I don't have it down hundred <laughs> percent. Like I'm still on that path and will be my whole life. I'm haven't arrived, but I think that's what helped me through my disillusionment was that deep seated belief that no, the Holy spirit's in me and he's going to lead me into the truth. 
I just have to keep pursuing it. And the the interesting thing hearing you say that is I would guess, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you learned that from Tom. I mean, you learned it from reading the scripture, but you also learned that that's very much a thing that I know I heard him say, that the Spirit will lead you into all truth, Mm -hmm. you know? It it is, yeah, that is something he definitely camped on quite a bit, but he was right about that. That's what I'm saying. You you learned that Mm -hmm. thing that led you to realize that he... (laughs) (laughs) That he was, the truth is, he was an abuser. Right. You learned that from him. Yeah. And from, obviously from the scripture. Right. But but from, he reinforced that. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. That's that's why we can't, um, that's that's kind of reinforcing my point that I'm making. Like, you learned that from the quote-unquote bad guy, right? Like right. From the, it's from like the, I learned it from Mein Kampf. Right. And it happened to be true. <laughs> yeah, you know? It happened to be true because it's biblical. And that that's the thing with spiritual abusers in particular is they've got a, they've got a lot of truth into what they say. And, and I remember, I remember struggling with some of Tom's pet doctrine, some of the things that we talked about that he did at Church A, the Slander series mm-hmm. and the different things like that. And the one that I really had a difficulty with was trusting the best, believing the best, because he really hammered that at the end of time there at at Church A, he was really hammering that. And I had a real difficult time believing that Mm -hmm. doctrine, but it's true. (laughs) It's in, it's in the scripture, Yeah, you know, um, because I was like, no, I, I believed you were bad and I was right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that those things can be manipulated. Yeah. Right. Like he, he taught us to believe the best, but what he wanted that to manifest out as is that we let him abuse us and believe it was good. Yeah. He wanted us to just perceive what he was doing as godly, even though it was wicked. Right. Right, and yeah. that's what he meant by believing the best. Mm-hmm. But there is a biblical truth about believing the best in people. There is. And we need to be able to separate those two things. We do, and that's one of the biggest, man, it's one of the biggest dangers of being in a, a situation with a, a manipulative pastor like that is that you want to throw out everything they said because you're so pissed at them and what they've done. And you just you just think... I'm just going to throw the whole thing out, you know. Um, Fear is another one. Wondering if the abusive leader's threats of God's displeasure and wrath will come true or a general fear of being outside of God's will because of having left the abusive church because a lot of times they make those kind of threats. Mm -hmm. I know I experienced a little bit of that at first thinking, oh, gosh, is something bad going to happen to me because I left the church B? And yeah, yeah. Pastor Tom, like, it didn't last very long for me, thankfully, but there were a lot of, there was a lot of braggadocious, um, <laughs> biblical level threats made, you know, about what would happen if you left. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want anybody to think that God's wrath is going to be upon them. Because they leave their church for any reason. Yeah. That's not gospel. Yeah, where is that written? Yeah. That's not biblical at all. Mm. Yeah, You can leave a church for wrong reasons 
and God's wrath isn't going <laughs> to, you know, isn't going to be upon you. God's favor and God's wrath are not dependent on what church you go to. Uh, they're dependent on which side of the gospel you're on, you know? Yeah, we're not under law. We're not under we're law, under we're under grace. grace. And uh, as long as you uh, are a believer, God's, you're not a vessel of wrath. Hmm. And so God's wrath isn't on you. Does the, that doesn't mean, you know, the scripture says that the Lord chastises those he loves. And mm. there, there, is, there are consequences for, for our sins and there are trials that we go through and there's different things. Um, but that's because he loves us, not because he's angry at us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a fatherly discipline. Right. Not a uh, punishment because of sin per se. Um, the last one in this immediate aftermath is hypervigilance, feeling extremely guarded and alert to anything resembling abusive behavior in church settings, especially sermons and interactions with leadership. Um, and it could even be hypervigilance outside the church, just in general in life. You can start to feel this sense of impending doom and this sense of like always feeling like the other shoe is going to drop especially when things start going well. You start thinking, oh, something bad's going to happen. Um, but the way I experienced it the most was within the church feeling, I guess, going back to Church A was helpful because I already knew Pastor Jeff and enough of the people there that I trusted them. So I didn't have to start from zero. And that made a big difference. But when I started going outside of Church A after I had been there a couple years, I felt like, okay, I've healed. This part of me is like this chapter, I think, is kind of maybe coming to a close for me. And, and I started looking around for a, another place to worship. And that was really hard, even then, even after a couple of years, because mm. there was still this sense of like, is this going to be another abusive situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a value in being discerning, right? Yeah. So we want vigilance. Vigilance is not a bad thing. Hypervigilance is where we get into the mm -hmm. where we get into the issue, right? And I say issue; it's an understandable thing when you come out of something like that. Mm. But when we say that something is understandable, we don't mean that it's excused, mm. right? Like, you know what I mean? Like I understand that you feel that way, but this isn't the right way to mm -hmm. this isn't the right way to go about life, mm -hmm. right? And so. Uh, again, it takes patience and time to yeah. get through that, but um, uh, and and pursuit because if if there's somebody who's hyper vigilant, uh, who comes through the doors of my church, and uh, I say something that they perceive to be abusive, and then they they're not around anymore, I have to pursue them. Mm -hmm. like, you know, like I want to pursue them, yeah. and I want to be able to explain, like, hey, that's not what I. That's not what I meant. Let's yeah. look at the word together, you know, and like, mm -hmm. let's, let's do that. And I want to, you know, in order to earn trust and to prove yourself to be trustworthy, that takes time, hmm. you know, and it takes constant reminding. I mean, for goodness sake, God, God set up recurring feasts so that Israel would remember how faithful he was. To yeah. Them, right? Yeah. You go and do this feast so that you remember the day that I brought you out of captivity. Hmm. Right, you go and do this feast so that you remember the day that I passed over your house and and killed the firstborn of Egypt, but I left 
but I let you live, mm-hmm. right? Like you do this feast for the to remember the time that you tabernacled in the wilderness, and now the feast of booths is a is a time to remember that. You know, like you do all these feasts so that you remember my goodness and my faithfulness, because we forget, mm-hmm. and and even as faithful and as trustworthy as God is, we forget, mm-hmm. and we need to be reminded all the time. Uh, hence the Lord's Supper. That's why we yeah. take communion because we need to be reminded of God's goodness and his faithfulness to mm. us. Absolutely. In the gospel. And so I want to be patient and pursuing with people like that who mm-hmm. are, you know, who are thinking that uh, I'm abusing. You oh, know, or yeah. that I have the abusive or and I don't just mean me, I mean, you know, those of us who don't want to be <laughs> don't want to be abusive. Right. We're gonna have to pursue people and and explain kind of explain ourselves. Yeah. People develop triggers. Yeah. And you might have similar mannerisms to their abusive past, someone in their past who abused them, and you can't help that. And that can be really difficult for people who've been abused to separate those triggering mannerisms from the actual person that they're looking at. And what I found has been the best antidote to that is actually getting to know the person mm-hmm. and find out who they really are. Um, I kind of struggled with that with one of the pastors at our church now, and then I ended up working with them side by side for four years. And I learned that person is nothing like Pastor Tom. Mm-hmm. And that made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But not everyone is going to have enough um, willingness to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how God got me to that point. I guess it's just, it's been 20 years, you know, right, it's yeah. been yeah. a long time. So I've grown a lot since then. And, and God got me to the point where I was willing to do that. But, uh, the closer you are to your abuse, uh, you know, in time, the, sure. the more likely it is to be very difficult. Yeah. And like you said, it just takes a lot of patience yeah. for people. So, yeah, it takes patience on the, side of the victim and takes patience on the side of those trying to minister to the victim. Yeah. You know, it takes both. And that's often the hardest, the hardest part, uh, sometimes from the victim's perspective is having patience with people Yeah, (laughs) because they've been abused and hurt Yeah, in the past. And like, I don't want to allow myself to do that again. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut bait Mm -hmm. sooner so that I don't get hurt again. Yeah. Yeah, it's, again, it's understandable, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it right. Yeah, and it's something that if you're experiencing this hypervigilance, it's something to be aware of, and it's something to take to the Lord and be like, "Look, I'm I'm struggling," and it's normal to mm-hmm. feel that way after an, a trauma. Mm-hmm. So don't judge yourself for feeling that Absolutely. way. Absolutely, um, but do you know? Take it before the Lord and start seeking healing for that, um, and if. Like you said, I think one of the biggest healing things for that is good relationships with people you trust in the church. And it might be years until you're willing to like be vulnerable with a pastor again, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can find some brothers and sisters that you can be vulnerable with and you yeah. can trust, that will go a long way to helping with hypervigilance. Yeah people who you can bounce stuff off of and say, hey, I feel like I'm seeing this. Is is 
what's your experience with so-and-so, you know, because yeah. I'm feeling like this. Um, and they may give you a different perspective, and that can help. And just talk it through, mm-hmm. you know? So from the abuser perspective, I would imagine most abusers demand that they're the one that you get close to and they're the one that, you know. Yep. For For me, man, I rejoice when people are are in the process of healing, even if I'm not part of that Hmm. process, you know, (laughs) like I just want to see people be healed and be reconciled to their creator. And it's a, it's a blessing that I'm in a position where I play that. I play a role in that for a lot of folks, but it doesn't have to be me. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I get it. There might be a, a, a fear of authority, you know, in that regard. And you need somebody who's not the pastor Mm -hmm. to, uh, to to be vulnerable with, and that's great, great. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want you to be healed. I don't have to be the one to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. And as a non-abusive pastor, a kind and gracious under shepherd of Christ, y- you have an attitude that is befitting of a servant of of Christ, not one of an abuser, which is just case in point, really, mm. that you could see someone who needs that and probably just feel like, like you said, hey, I'm just glad this person is here and that they're getting in fellowship and you don't feel this pressure to like get into their life and poke around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I really, uh, I really appreciated on the, one of the episodes with Pastor Jeff where he said that he tells folks when he's in counseling that they have the freedom to share as much or as little Mm. as they are comfortable, you know? And I I liked his follow-up on that. Like there's a lot of people who are like, you can tell me everything. Um, But there's not always the freedom given to, hey, you don't have to tell me anything you don't want to tell me. Yeah. And I just thought that was so wise and caring. And uh, that really resonated with me as a pastor to learn to do that and just say, hey, you don't have to tell me anything you're not comfortable sharing with me. Um, I don't want you to, I want you to share it. Like he said, I want people to share things with me because they trust me. Yeah. Not because they feel like I'm demanding that they share things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Rants and Revelations. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any questions, comments, or you would like to get some advice on where to get some counseling, please email us at the number four grants and revelations at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.